Welcome to The Alchemical Mind. Today I'm going to be discussing my my crazy psychedelic experience from about a year and a half ago. I've, uh, I've made reference to this experience many, many times in the podcast. I've given some bits and pieces of the actual experience in other episodes, so you may have caught on, caught on to those. If you are new to the podcast, uh, this is not something that I normally talk about. I mean, we do talk about psychedelics, but uh, I've never talked about this experience. And and the reason for that is that, to me, the experience was so profound that I never knew how to talk about it. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to it, or at least part of it. Uh, one is that I never knew how to talk about it because I didn't understand kind of the things that I experienced. And uh, number two, I'll be quite honest, is that I've been afraid to talk about the experience because uh, it's, it, it's crazy. It's a crazy experience. And so I've, I've never related the experience in detail to anyone before. I have talked to my wife about parts of the experience, the parts that uh, I feel she might... I kind of understand a little bit better, and uh, I feel like I kind of did a a disservice to myself when I talked to her about it because I mean it took me it took me well over a year to say anything to her about it, and and the reason I say I feel like I did a disservice is because I felt like I had to leave so much out of the experience so she wouldn't institutionalize me, uh, you could say, and I'm sure some of you that have had these kind of experiences can relate that uh, it just wasn't as meaningful and it just seemed like kind of a, a crazy dream i'm going to go in in full detail on this episode uh, with that said i am i'm not going to discuss the the types of things that i do when i undergo a psychedelic experience uh, when i did this experience i had been starting to experiment with psychedelics again after you know not having used them for over 20 years uh, well, maybe not that long uh, but at least 15 years. And uh, I, I've been experimenting a little bit with certain things. And I, I did find something that really worked very well for this experience. I'm not going to discuss what it is. I have mentioned it on the podcast one time. Uh, it just very quickly in passing. So if you remember what I talked about, then you remember what the substance was. But But I will say this. Ever since I had this one particular experience I have had a recurring psychedelic ritual that I do so I, I want to talk about that really briefly because I do think that's important now I remember being in high school and at the college and trying certain things uh, mushrooms mostly and just doing it kind of as a fun experience right it's cool to see like weird things or seeing things kind of misshapen or you know the floors moving things like that it's, it, it's more of a an overall experience. It's just like a fun thing, right? But as I've gotten older, I've kind of started using psychedelics as a, a, an actual tool for, for conscious expansion. And, you know, I talk a lot about meditation and things like that, and, and those things are great, but psychedelics are really an interesting tool to use if you want to deal with certain things. Now, there's a ton of science behind psychedelics. I'm not going to go into that now. Maybe at some point in the future I'll do that. I'll have a guest on uh, that knows a little bit more about the science than I do. But there's a ton of work being done right now with uh, treating depression and PTSD and anxiety and all kinds of 
quote-unquote mental illnesses with the use of psychedelics, in particular LSD and mushrooms, psilocybin. So there, there is definite science for this. However, with that said, even through the science, and even though if you look at like risk assessment for some of these substances, they are very low on the list. Very low on the list. I mean, alcohol, I think, is at the highest. Tobacco is like number two or three. And so, you know, legal substances are a little more dangerous, actually a lot more dangerous than some of these substances that are very helpful, I would say. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably have tried psychedelics at least once and you will most likely agree. Some of you may have had a, a bad experience and that's fine. I'm going to assume that you have had a, a useful experience, at least in the one time that you tried it. With that said, I do use psychedelics as a tool, and because I use it as a tool, I don't abuse it. Uh, this is not something that I do you know, every day or even every week or every month. I usually give myself about six to eight weeks in between sessions uh, when I actually do psychedelic work. I follow a very strict set of guidelines that I've placed for myself, really just a trial and error. Uh, you know, Experimenting with these things over the last uh, year and a half, I've, I've come up with things to add to the experience that work and things that uh, I can ingest and practices that I can do to make the experience, number one, more comfortable, make me feel more at peace, and kind of enhance what my takeaway is from the experience. So, you know, like I always do at least a 24-hour fast, usually longer, 36, 48 hours, uh, where I just drink water and nothing else. And then I might have a very light uh, dinner before I partake in a psychedelic experience. Usually I do these things in the evening because it's much easier to get into a dark room in the evening. And I do expect to be in there for, you know, four to six hours at least. Uh, and that is generally how long the peak lasts for me. Uh, sometimes it can take me up to 24 hours to be like fully back to normal. And uh, I think that's pretty common with any kind of psychedelic use. You sometimes feel some of the after effects for you know, even weeks sometimes, depending on what it is that you do and how you do it. Uh, so those are two things that I, I'm pretty comfortable talking about. Uh, I do drink a particular tea. Uh, it's got a mixture of uh, citrus and uh, matcha tea, matcha green tea, uh, tea powder. There's a little bit of garlic in there for any kind of nausea that might come about. Uh, some a little damiana leaf, which I find is really calming and relaxing, and uh, and a few other things. So, with that said, I'm not uh, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a scientist. So, the reason I don't want to recommend any particular ritual or any particular set of substances to combine uh, is because I don't want to be liable for anybody else. Number one, and number two, because what works for me may not work for you. Also, just the simple fact of doing these rituals may not be something that you are even ready to do. You have to be in a particular state of mind in order to get something out of this experience. Now, this episode is going to go pretty deep. It will be long, so buckle up, Buttercup. Uh, you're in for a very interesting ride. Uh, I'll be definitely talking about the full experience. I'm going to talk about some of the takeaways kind of what I've analyzed of the experience through the last 18 months or so, uh, both spiritually, mentally, philosophically, and, uh, and some interesting parallels that I found 
uh, that relate very much to the theme of the podcast, which is you know, the chemical mind. So there are some uh, chemical connections that I'll be talking about, some uh, Egyptian numerology and things like that. Uh, I'm going to save all that to the end because it's really conjecture, and you know it could mean anything. It could be confirmation bias in, in me trying to find some meaning behind this experience. So I will leave all that stuff to the very, very end, but I, I do want to talk about the experience itself. Now, the way that I plan my ritual is a, a very gradual experience. And like I said, I do do at least a 24-hour preparation where I try to get myself in the right mental state. Once I take the substances that I'm going to take, I, uh, I just kind of chill out. I don't, uh, you know, I don't go outside. I don't get in a hot air, in a hot space. I, uh, I try to stay inside in the cool. Uh, just be comfortable. You know, try not to watch movies or videos or TV or anything like that. Maybe put on some music. Just try to relax a little bit. Now, the onset of the experience begins roughly within an hour of uh, of the ingestion, and and it can sometimes come very sudden. And I have witnessed that through repetitive experimentation with uh, with my ritual. So within an hour, sometimes as long as two, depending. Uh, the the actual experience itself always takes roughly the same amount of time, anywhere between four to eight hours, usually four to six hours. Uh, but the, the, the come along, I've engineered purposely to be a little bit slower so that I can get in the right mental space. So roughly about an hour is how long it takes. But uh, but I will say when it comes on, it comes on very quick. So one second, I'm, I'm totally fine. In particular, if I'm not anticipating anything, which I've learned not to anticipate anything out of the experience, that's very important uh, when you try to do these things, right? Set, set, and setting. Uh, all very important things when you undergo a, a psychedelic experience. But when it comes on, it comes on very quick. And I know that I need to go lay down at this point. I usually do lay down. It's it's much more comfortable. I have done this sitting before. Uh, you never want to stand, at least not with the particular mixture that I use, because uh, you'll be disoriented. And, and the point, for me at least, in partaking in one of these experiences is not to have a good time for a few hours, but to do some really serious introspection of myself and things going on around me and, and mental processes that are going within my brain. And so that's why I always make sure that I lay down. I just find a comfortable place. Usually I do this in the family room. Uh, this is what, part of the reason why I do this later, so there's nobody in there. Everyone's kind of either getting ready for bed or going to bed. And uh, it's a it's a nice place. It's quiet. It's a large room, and uh, I can make it even darker pretty easily. When I first hopped into the state, it seemed like something that I experienced previously, right? Uh, just uh, the typical hallucinatory geometric shapes, I guess you could say. So you see, you know, spirals of colors and like waves of colors coming in and out and melding together and creating new colors and new shapes. Uh, lots of uh, lots of spirals and triangles and uh, fractal patterns and kind of feeling like I was going into a tunnel in many respects. And what separated this from most of the experiences that I usually have had is that it didn't just simply end there. So I have had a lot of these pattern experiences before, uh, especially when I was just doing psychedelics for fun. But this was the first time that I felt like I was going somewhere else and this is part of the reason why I felt like this was becoming a much different experience 
Now, some of you that are very experienced with psychedelics, I'm sure you you've been to this place many times. Uh, you know, if you do like DMT, I've never done it, but from what I hear, you are definitely in a different universe, and you see complete landscapes, you see entities, the entities talk to you. Uh, I wasn't expecting any of these things to happen because this is not DMT or any derivation uh, of concoction of DMT. I found myself going kind of through this tunnel shape tunnel made of shapes the shapes slowly gaining some concrete mass and not simply being spirals or you know burst of light or anything like that combining into each other but becoming like lattices of cubes all interconnected diving into these lattices these interconnected cubes and trying to find my way around what this place was, right? Because I'd never seen this place before. These lattices of cubes were all the same color at any given time, but they would shift into different uh, colors, particularly uh, yellows and greens. And I just was kind of floating through it, and I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, I've never been in this place before. I kept going down to this lattice of cubes, and that turned into another tunnel. This is when things started getting a little real for me because I felt like I got to the end of one of these tunnels. All these shapes, these colors, these like fanciful things that you see in like the, the stereotypical like Hollywood representations of what a trip is, all that went away and directly in front of me, maybe like six or seven inches away, was a giant concrete slab. And it was almost pitch black, but there was just enough light coming through a crack on uh, on the side of the slab that I could see that this was just like gray rock, basically, right? Some kind of whatever it was, limestone, whatever, some, something of that kind of texture. And I was like, well, this is this is really weird. Like, where did the fun stuff go? Now, I feel like I'm in like a real place right now. And so I felt my way around this concrete slab and noticed that it surrounded me on all sides. So I was not just in front of a slab of rock. I was actually inside like a giant granite box. And this was actually really interesting because it started giving me these feelings of like Egyptian archaeology, right? If you listen to the podcast, you know I'm really into this ancient history stuff. I talked a little bit about that on the last episode where I discussed the solo meditation, and I, I felt like I, wanna, I was in one of these uh, like giant granite sarcophagi that are like in, in Saqqara, right, underground, uh, where they find nothing in there, right? They're either empty or there's like this black goo inside, but I felt like I was inside one of these granite slabs, and so I felt my way around the slab, and I was like, well, crap, like, I, I didn't expect this to happen, like I wanted to float around the universe and see what was going on, try to get in touch with myself, and here I am sitting in this box. And I started I started knocking on the lid of the box and screaming and and I heard a very faint voice just telling me to kind of hang on. They were trying to get me out. I was like, okay, well, I don't need to freak out, right? Even though I'm in this box, I somebody's coming to get me. And the whole time realizing like I'm tripping like this this is not real but I'm in this place that feels very real and you know I would go as far as to say even more real than 
than the reality that I have right now, where you know I'm sitting in front of my computer chatting and recording this podcast. It was like, here's the example that I gave one time because I was trying to explain like what this more real than real thing was. If you go to like uh, like Best Buy, I don't have a 4K TV, right? Like I have a whatever high def TV. But uh, if you go to Best Buy, you can see like the regular TVs, and you see a certain sharpness in the image, a certain vibrancy in the colors. And then you can go to like the fancy TV section, right, where they have like the 4K TVs and the 8K TVs, and you you see the picture, and it's just like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, right? Number one, like they they tweak that TV to optimize the image, right? So they they up the brightness, they up certain contrast ratios and and lights and all this kind of stuff to make it look even better. But there's so many pixels in that TV that the the image is just crystal clear right it's so sharp it's like the difference between you know watching a, a nature show on tv and actually going out into the woods and seeing nature that's how i felt just in this in this stone box that i was in i felt like the texture of this rock was just so sharp and vibrant i was like how can this be like this feels like I've been watching TV my entire life, and now I'm actually like in the place where I've been this entire time, right? That's that's the exact experience that I had. So after uh, after a few, I assume seconds, uh, but what felt like you know 15, 20 minutes, the uh, the lid of this box started to open up, and I could see more light, and it was open just enough where I could get out. And so I was like, cool, like somebody let me out. Let me get out and thank them. So I get out of this box and, and I look around. It's a giant box, you know, probably 10 foot long and you know, six foot wide, uh, like six foot tall as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy, but I'm not that big, right? I'm six foot tall. So uh, I'm looking around. And I, don't, I don't see anybody. I was like, well, how who the hell helped me get out of this box? And as I look around, I realize that I'm at the, st- at the top of a staircase, so the, the granite box is on a platform at the top of a staircase, and I can look down the staircase, and the staircase goes, you know, hundreds of feet down to another platform, and that platform has staircases connected to it, and there's just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interconnected staircases, and some of them, you know, from where I'm at, I, some of them just look right side up, some are like you would walk up a wall, some are like you would be walking upside down. And I look, I look around me, and there's there's more staircases just like this. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. This is like a room of staircases. Wh- where the hell do I go? I'm trying to get the hell out of this box. Now I get out of the box, and I see that I'm in another bigger puzzle than simply getting out of this box. So I just don't know where to go. And I decide to pick one of these staircases. And you know, there's there's like candles, so you can find your way through. Uh, in between all these interconnected staircases, but really there's no way to tell where any of these staircases go. So, like I said, I just pick one and I start walking, and I see like a shadowy figure emerge out of a corner, and I was like, "Hey, hey, are, are you the one that helped me get out of this box?" And they just kind of run away. So I I go after this thing that was looking at me, and I get to another corner. I don't see them anymore. And and I hear my name, Martin. I'm over here. Like, who the hell is this? What the hell's going on? 
and I try to listen to the to my name being called to the sound, and I figure out I should go down a particular corridor. So I go down that corridor. It's like the same thing again. Martin, come this way. Come this way. And I, I'm like, where the hell is this way? And I try to follow the sound. Then I go, and I get to the bottom of a staircase, which I decide to climb up because it seems like the sound is coming from the top of the staircase. And so I start climbing up, and it gets darker and darker, and now it's completely pitch black. I hit my face on something, like I ran into a wall. And I'm like, well, crap, this can't be the right way. I just ran into a wall. And I look back and try to go back down the stairs, and I can't because I hit another wall. And then I realize this whole time I'm going up and down these staircases, I'm, I'm back inside this box. And I don't know if it's the same box or a different box, but I'm back inside a box. And I'm like, man, this is the worst experience ever. Why do I keep getting like thrown into these boxes? But then I hear my name being called again. Martin, just relax. I'll get you out in just a minute. I said, all right, well, they'll get me out in just a minute. I already got out of one box. What's being in another box going to do, right? But I'm hoping like something happens, right? I'm having this experience. I don't want to just be in a box the entire time I'm hallucinating or whatever I'm experiencing. I want to actually experience something. So a couple more minutes go by and the lid to this box now opens up. And a hand reaches down into the box and says, "Come, take my hand. Come on, let's get out of here. So I reach up and I grab the hand and I get out. And it's this giant, giant owl person. I mean like 12 feet tall, 14 feet tall. I don't know. Giant being that... I mean, it, it has human features, right? It's got legs and arms and a body, a torso, and it's well-defined musculature, it's, but it's humongous, and it's covered in feathers. The entire body's covered in feathers, and it's got these giant bird wings coming out of it, but the face was almost like a, a cartoon face. It didn't, it didn't feel like a face that belonged on this being. It was like it was wearing an owl mask, kind of, right? Like, that wasn't its actual face. And I was like, who the hell are you? Why do you look like an owl? And he says, don't worry, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to guide you. I said, guide me where? Where are we going? Why'd you guide me into this box? He said, I didn't guide you into the box. You had to figure out a way to get out of the box. I said, well, I didn't figure out a way. You got me out of the box. And then he asked me, did I? Did I get you out of the box? I said, what the hell's going on? Why am I seeing this giant owl man? He's like, just relax. He's like, your brother needs to see you. And I said, my brother? My brother's in Tennessee. I don't need to see my brother. I, I do have two younger brothers. He's like, just follow me. So I start following this owl man down a corridor. And all of a sudden, it gets brighter and brighter. And we merge into this giant ballroom and i mean giant it's got to be you know 50 foot wide 200 feet tall like it, it the ceiling is so high it dwarfs this giant owl man and i mean it was beautiful it was like a walking into a cathedral right just like solid rock all perfectly cut uh, just enough light where you could see like all the like how all the shapes interconnected they were like the wall was made of spirals and there were like these crazy angles but it was just it was just beautiful to look at 
and like solid marble tile floors. And I was like, man, this this is awesome. This is what I'm here to see. Like, I've never had this experience. You know, all I've seen before is shapes and colors. And now here I am in this like magical, beautiful place. And he says, just follow me. We're almost there. I said, all right, like Owlman seems cool. Let's let's keep going. So we get to the end of the hallway and there's a door. It's a giant door, of course. You know, again, like 200 feet tall. And he stops for a second. He turns around and he says, don't say anything. Just listen. And I said, what am I going to be listening to? He says, somebody needs to talk to you. He has a very short temper. Just listen. I said, all right. So he opens the door and inside we walk into another large room. Uh, this was kind of more of a square room. It was still very large, right? 50 foot by 50 foot long. There's a, a long red carpet leading up to this giant throne made out of granite. And you have to like walk up a few stairs to get to it. There's, there's people lined up on each side, down the wall, left and right. And they're all facing the center of the room where I'm walking down this carpet. At the end of the room where the uh, where this giant throne is, there's a man sitting on this throne. There's a woman kind of tied up, shackled on the little steps going up to where the throne is uh, on one side of him. On the other side, there's another woman, beautiful woman, dressed all in white. There's like a couple guys next to her. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember what they look like. But I remember like how striking both of these women were. And they look very similar except one was just kind of shackled down on the ground and the other one standing tall next to this man sitting on this throne. And then behind them, there's just like these enormous glass windows. And I can see like into space beyond the windows. And there's little like oddly shaped spaceships with like, some of them have wings, but the wings aren't connected to the ships. They're just kind of like floating in midair, but they're obviously part of the same thing. Some of them have like feathers coming out of them. Some of them just have like weird structures or like lights dangling off of them. Uh, it was just kind of like a, a really futuristic version of, of steampunk stuff. But just like flying around in the space behind this guy. And so I keep walking and then he puts his hand out, tells me to stop, kneel down. So I kneel down on one knee and he says, why are you here? I said, what do you mean why am I here? I don't know. The owl man brought me here. And he says, brother, why are you here? I said, why do you call me brother? He said you were my brother. You say you're my brother. I don't, I've, I've never seen you before. Who are you? He said, I'm your brother. You're not supposed to be here. I said, well, I didn't mean to be here. I just wanted to have this trip experience. And I end up in this box and this bird man gets me out and they tell him the whole story. And he, he looks over at the bird man and the bird man just kind of puts his eyes down. He's like, how did you get out? I said, I don't know. I guess the Birdman got me out. I was in a, in a box, in a coffin, and the lid opened up and I came out of it. He's like, brother, you're not supposed to be here. You promised you would not come here. I said, I've never even met you before. How, what do you mean I promised that I wouldn't come here? I've never met you before. Who are you? And that's when he said he was my brother. He never gave me a name. He just said, I'm your brother. He said, we are two principles of our father I said I don't know what that means I was like are you God and he, he just kind of smiled and, and laughed a little bit he said I'm not God but you're God 
she's God and he's God. I said, this is ridiculous. Like, I, this is not the kind of experience that I'm wanting to have. Okay, I said, I, I don't know you. I have two brothers. You're not my brothers. He says, they're not your brothers. They're figments of your imagination. You created them. I said, no, that's preposterous. I didn't create my brothers. Like, my parents gave birth to me and then my other brother and then my other brother. There's three of us. And I gave them their names and locations. I gave them more information. He said, none of that is true. You don't, you forgot what you are. I said, well, what the hell am I? Then he went on to explain that our father was the ruler of this place. I said, all right, well, where's this, where's dad? Where's, where's this guy? Well, you can't see him. What do you mean I can't see him? How do I know what you're telling me is true? You can't see him because he's you and he's me. I said, this is, this is too much. You're, you're getting a little too philosophical for me. You need to explain a little bit what's going on. I said, if you're not God, what are you, the devil? Is that what you are? You're the devil? You're the bad guy? And he says, I've been called both. Our father created this place, and out of him came you and me, and your wife and my wife. So what do you mean? My, my wife's at home in bed. He's like, no, this is your wife. And he points down at the woman that's on the stairs in shackles. He says, this is my wife. She looks over at me and smiles. He says, we are all there is. All that exists is the five of us. Our father, you, me, my wife, and your wife. None of, none, none of anything else that you see is real. Everything else is a construction that you or I or they have created. And I looked around and I was like, so none of these people are real. Nope, none of these people are real. I said, what about this place? Is this place real? Nope, this place is not real. We created it. What do you mean we created it? You mean like me and you? He says, yeah, the five of us, we created it. We created this place and the place out there. And he pointed it out beyond the window. And all the people around you and all the people that you know, we created all that. I said, you're not supposed to be here. You promised. I said, I don't understand. What do you mean I promised? What, what did I promise you? He said, thousands and thousands of years ago, we made a deal. And through that deal, we agreed to switch places. Because our father had decided he no longer wanted to be a part of all of this creation. And he put us in charge. And so we'd flip back and forth between governing this place. And right now it was his turn. It wasn't my turn. That's why he wanted to know why I was there. It was not my turn to be there. It was his turn. I said, thousands of years? Like, I'm, I'm 38. He says, no, you think you are. In the life that you've created, that's what you are right now. And in the next life, you'll be something else. In the next one, you'll be something else. And then there'll be a point in time where we have to switch places, and I will be where you are. And if I show up here, then you will ask me, why are you here, brother? And then I was really confused. And I was confused because this guy was basically telling me that I've existed for basically eternity, and I'm, I'm like a, a god. I'm god. Right? I'm god. Again, as I go through the story, take all the stuff with a grain of salt. I don't have a messiah complex. There's none of that. This is just the experience that I had. I said, well, if that's true, what about all the stuff back home? What about my wife and my kids and my friends and my parents, job and my, my memories, my childhood? 
What about all that stuff? All that is fake. It's all an illusion. It's an illusion that you've created for yourself. I said, why, why would I create this illusion? Why would I put myself in the place that I put myself in? That was hallucinating that, that reality, right? The, the world that we're in right now. Why wouldn't that make it a better place? Why would I create so much hatred and suffering and hunger and violence? Why would I place myself in the situation that I'm in, in a job that I hate? I was still working at a place that I've been at for a very long time and I've hated for many, many years. Why would I, why would I imagine all these things? He said, if it was a perfect place, you wouldn't want to be there. You'd be bored. So you created this place full of suffering to keep yourself entertained. I was getting more and more confused because none of this was making any sense to me. The whole time I'm thinking to myself, because I was, I was rather lucid through this whole experience, and I'm trying to analyze all these things as they come about. And I'm thinking to myself, none of this makes any sense. Like, this is not the kind of experience that I wanted. Why, why am I hallucinating this stuff? Why these people? Why this place? Why this crazy backstory? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And then he asked me again, Brother, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. I said, look, I, I was trying to do some consciousness work. I, I took some psychedelics. I, this is not the place that I expected to be in. I expected to be in like a land of unicorns or whatever, just like some cool place where I can sit and, and introspect and like face some of my demons. And I, I didn't expect to be here in front of you. I'm just trying to do some consciousness work. He said, brother, what do you think that you're doing? You are pure consciousness. Of course you're doing consciousness work. You're always doing consciousness work because there is no other work to do but consciousness work. All that is is consciousness. I said, well, that can't be true. Like, you're, you're this guy standing in front of me. There's obviously some physical material. He said, no, there's, there's no physical material. The only reason you see me in front of you is because you're conditioned yourself to deal with people and the only way for me to talk to you was to get into some kind of shape a form that you understood that wouldn't freak you out that wouldn't make you think that you were hallucinating i said well you're doing a terrible job because i think i'm going crazy right now I didn't, I didn't expect this you know what i mean like i've heard stories about people going into these kind of places but never with the substances that i've been using and he says yeah you you've been here many times before and you never understand why what do you mean? This is the first time I'm here. He said, no. You're here all the time. Sometimes it's an eternity in between your appearances. But you come all the time. All those people that come here are you. I was starting to get some crazy vibes because, of course, even though I've never experienced this thing before, I have been studying this stuff for a long time. And so I'm trying to like flip through pages of books in my mind trying to see like where what the inspiration for some of these crazy things could have been right like oh yeah like this like this owl guy he looks a little bit egyptian like maybe he's horus right and and this is set and i'm osiris like okay that that kind of makes sense so maybe that's where i got these ideas from and i was thinking about like gurchev and and you know theosophists and stuff i was like okay like this guy's uh what do they call him aruman right Amahura Mazda, he's Aruman, right? This is a Manichaean myth. I get it. Like this is this is what's influencing this whole crazy experience. Because I, I was trying to find a concrete explanation for this. 
And I think that's very common for people that have these kind of experiences to try to find some kind of meaning, some understanding of what the experience is about. Of course, I immediately thought about shadow work, and that's why I thought this was kind of apropos after doing the, the shadow work episodes that I did last week. Because it felt like I was meeting my shadow, right? This guy said he was my brother. That's that's the experience that some folks have when they discuss the shadow. It's like they're staring into a mirror, right? Like, uh, you know, in movies in Hollywood, this is like a, you stare in a mirror and you see an emo version of yourself, right? We're, right now you're wearing a suit and tie and you look at the mirror and you're like in ripped jeans and a black shirt. And you have black makeup on your eye and a mohawk or whatever. And you're like the straight-laced guy. This is this is what it was like. It was staring at my complete opposite. And it was the same with these two women. They looked nearly identical. Except one was dirty and in shackles and the other one was in this beautiful white dress, long flowing hair, just smiling, nice makeup, everything. And I said, well, I mean, this is a cool experience. I'm not going to lie. Whatever it is that you are, I'm, I'm digging this experience. I, I can definitely get some takeaways out of this. Then he repeats himself, you don't understand, you are not supposed to be here. It's not your time, you're not supposed to be here. I said, fine, don't worry, I'm not going to come back here. I'll try something else next time. I'll go, I'll go somewhere else, I'm not going to come back here anymore. He says, you can't come back here. If you come back here, you're going to lose everything. If you keep down this path, you will lose everything. I said, holy shit. This is... This is not just some weird experience that I'm having in my mind. This feels very real. And as I'm thinking that, he struck me. He took his finger and he struck me on my forehead. Bam! You need to go back to where you came from. I said, fine, I'll leave. And he looked over at the Owlman and the Owlman came over and he got me up and we started walking out. And we're walking down the hallway. He's guiding me back to the, the staircases, I guess. I said, what the hell was that? He said, your brother is afraid. I said, afraid of what? <laughs> I'm hallucinating all this stuff. Afraid of what? He's like, your brother is afraid of you. He's afraid you're going to take his place. I said, I don't want to take his place. I just want to know if there's anything more. He said, now you've seen it. You know. You know there's more. You know that you are infinite. You are the creator. You are one facet of a multifaceted being. The one becomes two, the two become four, and so on. He said a long time ago we made a deal. When father disappeared we made a deal that we would switch places in ruling over the entire universe. And right now it was his time. But for some reason I kept on showing up to this place completely unaware of where I was but constantly showing back up, like I knew that I had to return to this place, but never understanding why. Because I was still living under the illusion that a physical place existed and I was just hallucinating. And that wasn't true. The only thing that existed was this place, and everything else was illusion. I said, man, that's crazy. I was like, this is like real life, you know, reading uh, the Vedas or whatever. It's like real life stuff. He's like, you're starting to understand. You need to be careful. Your brother has spies where you are. They know what you're doing. They're keeping tabs on you to make sure you don't come back here. He said, your brother will hurt you. He can't kill you. 
but he will hurt you. And he will find a way at some point to keep you in that box. And you'll never be able to leave. And he'll have control for eternity. He said, your brother lives on fear. All he thrives on is fear and ignorance. And there are beings that you have created in your reality that do things to feed him this fear and ignorance. They might not be aware. They may call them many different names. But they find ways to keep you in the darkness, to keep you in the box. You need to be very careful. Your brother wasn't lying. If you keep down this path, you will lose everything. Everything that you know will be gone. But is that such a bad thing? I kind of looked at him weird. I, said, I don't know what that means. That seems a little, a little much. I said, you need to understand this is reality. This is reality. Everything else is just an illusion that you've created for yourself. To keep your brother at bay. To keep your brother at peace. Away from you. Happy. And as long as he just keeps on thriving on ignorance and fear, he'll continue to be happy. He's afraid, though, that if you show up, you might not leave next time because you'll understand. You will know who you are. Now you need to go back home. Find your way back home. And with that, he pushed me. And I fell down the hallway like I was flying down this hallway back into the staircase. I went back into the box. The lid shut. I kept going down this tunnel. And I started seeing the lights again. And I came to it. And next thing, I mean, when I looked at the time, it was, you know, six hours later, roughly. And I, when I was kind of, you know, back, I guess, mentally, I was like, man, that was, that was amazing. That was an awesome experience. More than I ever anticipated. Right? I didn't think I would get this from this. I thought I would get this if I ever smoked DMT. Now I don't even know if I want to smoke DMT because I, I found it through this. I found this place that people talk about. And so with that, I really decided to kind of up the ante a little bit. Right? I didn't, I didn't believe any of this warning or whatever that my quote-unquote brother had given me. I didn't, I didn't understand what the owl man was trying to tell me, none of this stuff. I just thought it was merely a, a figment of imagination, right? Like this is legit shadow work, right? I found the dark side of myself and I have to find a way to get over it, right? And the shadow self doesn't want for me to kind of knock it down and, and for me to regain control. It wants me to continue living in fear, right? This, this was my initial reaction, my, you know, the next day when I was trying to analyze what I had gone through. And I did write the story down uh, I have not opened that uh, that journal entry since this whole experience happened because it I remember it so vividly. I remember it so vividly. Again, I, I feel like I was there. Right? I was no longer here. I was in a different plane. But I wasn't seeing these things until I started to analyze a little bit the next day. Of course, I decided I need to turn this into a story. This would be an awesome story. And... Uh, I started working on the story. Started writing a, a novelization of it. I uh, I got part of the way through it, and uh, I shared it with some friends of mine, and uh, I got some kind of like head nods, uh, <laughs> some uh, some like uh, that was great. You should you should continue it kind of thing. I got some feedback like. That was really good. You got to explore what this is. 
But of course, none of them knew the full story, right? I, I had started writing this novelized version of this, uh, and it involved this like police detective uncovering this uh, this like esoteric cult conspiracy kind of deal uh, as a result of all this. But I was working on it, and I, I kept working on it, and I would find myself getting stuck very often, which is weird because I, I knew exactly what I wanted to write, but it was like I couldn't write it. Or like I couldn't will myself to get in front of the computer sometimes and write it, even though I had the story. Because I, I started feeling like I should not be doing this. And I was like, what if like the, the warning was legit, right? What if the warning is legit? What if, what if I will lose everything if I keep doing the story? I mean, like the story sounds awesome. This becomes a novel, like I could be a published author. That'd be amazing, right? What if it turns into a movie? Like all this, all these thoughts came into my head. And so for, you know, about a week, week and a half, I just I had the biggest writer's block. And again, it wasn't like a typical writer's block because I knew exactly what I wanted to write. But there was something preventing me from writing it. And it was this constant warning. If you go down this path, you will lose everything. I didn't know what that meant. But I know that when I lose stuff, lose stuff right? Like, even though I didn't like my job, like, it was good job, well-paying job, right? And again, I have I have a nice house. We have two cars, kids, right? People, everyone's taken care of very well. So I had this writer's block, and finally I was like, you know what? I I I can't. I gotta do this. And so uh, I did some shamanic breath work, and I got in front of my computer and I started writing, and it just it started flowing. And I kid you not, that night there was a giant storm, and my computer shut off as I'm writing. I said shit i just lost like several pages right i didn't lose everything but i lost a decent chunk of it and there was no power till the next day so i get up the next day still no power still no power finally the power comes back on i said great i gotta get back to writing my story so i opened my computer up started to write the story i'm a little bit of a nerd a little a little bit of a computer nerd and i do multiple backups of everything my computer's got three drives that are redundant backups. They all back up into each other. So there's three copies of everything on my computer at any given time. I back up everything to the cloud. And I also have a separate server in my house that I back everything up to. So there's like five backups of this story. I got to open the file. File's corrupted. Can't open it. Every single bit of the story is gone. So, well, crap. Like, maybe I'm... It's in one of the other drives. I start going to the other drives. All the files are corrupted. I say, well, maybe it's on my server. I get on my server. File's not even there. File's gone. Completely missing. So, well, you know, maybe it's on my Google Drive. So I get on the cloud. Nope. File's not there either. File's, file's gone. Five copies of this file. All copies are gone. Can't use any of them. I try to use recovery software on the drives locally can't get anything out of it i got some pictures out of it that's about it i lost a lot of stuff lost a lot of stuff but the most important thing that i lost was the story and then i started thinking to myself well shit like maybe there's something to this maybe there was something to this warning where if i keep going down this path i'm gonna lose everything maybe there's a reason why these files aren't coming up maybe the story is not supposed to be told and boy was i scared i've been scared for a year and a half now like genuinely frightened to talk about the story. Because, you know, it's one thing to have this kind of experience and want to share it with friends or family. 
even if it's just little bits and pieces of it, right? Like, I never felt comfortable telling my wife that, like, I had another wife in this hallucination. She might get a little upset, right? It's like when <laughs> it's like when your your wife has a dream that you cheat on her, and then you get smacked, right? Even though, like, she's the one having the dream, you get smacked. Uh, my wife's done that once or twice, right? And I'm sure some of you listening may have had that with a, a spouse or a significant other of some kind. So I left that little detail out, right? I left a little detail out where this guy basically told me that none of it was real, that it was all a, a conscious hallucination, that I created all of it, right? The whole bit about he was God and I was God and our father was God, all that gone. I'm not going to tell him that. And of course, I didn't want to tell my friends this because I'm going through this you know, dark night of the soul, this experience that's really profound that raises a lot of questions and there's stuff happening in this reality that kind of corroborate some of the things that I experienced in this hallucination. And the thing that really got to me was a part of the story that I did not share as I told the story. Because through this experience, there were a couple things that were shown to me. There were five events that were shown to me. And at the time of the experience, none of these things had happened. I was like, oh man, that's crazy. Crazy thoughts. But as the months went by, and one by one, these things that I was shown actually started to happen in real life. And I'm not going to talk about what those are because they're kind of irrelevant to the overall experience. But they were profound to me because as these things that I saw in this experience, in this trip, start actually happening in the real world, I start to question things. And I'm not saying this is not, this is not like premonition. I'm not saying I'm whatever, telepathic or doing out-of-body experience. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like those things must be real based on some of the takeaways that I had after my solo meditation retreat, I feel like they have to be real. I feel like you know, telepathy must be real, and, and out-of-body experiences must be real, and astral projection, and these realms, these, these psychedelic realms, must be real places. I feel like all this is true. But part of me doesn't want to believe that any of this could be true. right? Even though if I analyze the conclusions that I know are true, by extension, these other things must also be true because they fit into that paradigm. So like, for example, last episode I was talking about when I realized that time doesn't exist, that it's an illusion. Well, by extension, if, if that's true and all that exists is right now, then theoretically projecting into the past is true and you know, clairvoyance is also true because all these things happen at one time. So if, you, if you're only witnessing the present, there's some part of the physical you that can get into this realm that can see through all these different aspects of time. So those, those are natural conclusions to me. But the thing is, I have no, no concrete proof, right? I didn't go to this place and like bring up back a napkin or like cut a piece of this guy's robe, right? Or get a feather from the owl man. Like I don't, I don't have any physical proof of any of these things being real. But of course, like I mentioned in the previous episode, what makes any of these experiences any less real than the reality that you're experiencing right now as you listen to this podcast? There, there's really no actual difference. 
Now, if you're a physical materialist, of course, that's preposterous because all that could exist is things that you can touch and feel and you know perform experiments to prove their existence, even if you can't see or touch them, right? Like elementary particles, for example, like I mentioned last episode. You can perform experiments to deduce that these things exist and where they might exist and how they might exist and what their properties are, but you can never get them in a lab under a microscope and stare at them because right? they're infinitesimally small. But at the same time, this happens with thoughts all the time, right? We don't even need to talk about hallucinations. Thoughts are not concrete objects, but they are objects, right? They have certain qualities that you can grasp in some way. You might not be able to grasp them with your hand, but there's some kind of mental hand that you can grasp them with. So they're, they're objects. They just don't have a physical characteristic. And neither do these psychedelic realms. And again, because the visuals felt so much more real than reality, I have to say that this was a real place that I was in. You know, if I had gone to this place and I just see like spirals that, you know, somehow the colors give me this, this image of a person, I, I guess that's possible. But think, think about how unlikely that is. That these spiral patterns would somehow form these intricate cathedral-like rooms with clearly defined people wearing very clearly defined clothing and certain patterns on the clothing. You can't explain that with just some interpretation of a pattern. You can't explain the things that were said to me, the conversation going back and forth by analyzing some kind of spiral pattern preposterous and so for the last 18 months everything I've done in this continuous path of self-discovery has been to try to find a way to learn more about this place and this experience because I felt like even if I had no physical proof of any of this happening if this was a real place I had to be able to go back there somehow go back to this exact place and meet these exact beings and have a follow-up conversation that related to the original conversation. And so this led to a lot of exploration with things that I didn't normally read about. Because again, I stuck to typical stuff, you know? Read a lot of Hinduism, read a lot of Buddhism, a lot of Christian mystics, a lot of Taoist thought, got into the Pythagoreans a lot. Egyptian demonology, Egyptian numerology, Egyptian mythology, Manichaeanism. I mentioned that previously. Because I felt like there had to be a way for me to explain this, right? At some point in my life, I must have encountered a story or a set of stories that somehow stuck in my mind. And through some kind of self-confirmation bias, because of all the studying that I've been doing, and all the, the self-development work, self-improvement work that I've been doing, somehow these things started becoming reality in my mind. But I needed to find what that source was. Because confirmation bias is a very real phenomenon. It's a very real phenomenon. And if you're like, um, we'll just go back to Trump. Trump's an easy one. If you're, if you're a MAGA guy, right, or a girl, make America great again. If you're a MAGA person, no matter what Trump does, you're going to find some way to get him out of this hole that he put himself in. 
because you might feel like this is the guy, right? I voted for this guy. This is the guy. And everyone's just out to get him, right? Russiagate's all fake, right? The emails, the emails because Hillary's corrupt and all this stuff. Democrats are after him. The left is after him. They're trying to destroy America. We have these great values. And this is the guy that's going to do it. So you buy into this ideology and, and you always find a way to prove that ideology to be true. Because if you ever find some hole in the ideology, then you completely lose the person that you are. Again, I used I used MAGA and truck because that's an easy one. But you can do this with any belief system. You can do this with physical materialists. There are physical materialists that are no longer physical materialists because they might have had a psychedelic experience. You might have somebody that has you know a vision of the Virgin Mary or whatever. Somebody that sees Krishna show up. And so you always, if you buy into an ideology so strongly that it completely defines the person that you are, you find any means possible to prove that thing to be true. Again, because if it turns out that it's not true, then who the hell are you? Because you've defined yourself purely on this thing. Because you have no balance. So of course that was one of my initial thoughts about this whole experience. Is that this is just kind of a, a giant self-confirmation bias. Right? Studying Eastern mysticism and all this stuff over decades... Like, I want everything to be an illusion, so I create this story during a psychedelic trip that tells me exactly that. The world is an illusion, and and you are it. You are God. And of course, you read about people that get into this stuff, and then, you know, they end up becoming hermits and going to live in the woods or, you know, in a monastery or spend decades in a cave, right? And maybe that's what this guy meant by, if I follow this path, I'm going to lose everything. Because I'm going to be like, oh, well, crap, I need to... I need to get out of here. I can't do this family thing. I can't do this job thing. All I need to focus on it is this spiritual enlightenment. Maybe that's what that means. Right? And I love Gnostic ideology. And of course, you know, in Gnostic ideology, you have a lot of, of talk about Yaldabaoth. This, uh, I guess, like the evil god, right? The, the Gnostics believe that. The, the God of the Bible was not a, a good and loving God, but it was a, a mean and vicious person that didn't care about people. It, it, get, it got joy and contentment from, from people's pain, and it created this world of, of violence and suffering to kind of, like, get his kicks. And he used the archons to, like, you know, mess with people, right? Kind of like you would think of uh, demons possessing people or making them do things. This is kind of the, the Gnostic ideology, and this is very much what it seemed like in this hallucination, in this trip. But something about that never quite sat right with me. And this is why it's been so hard to deal with this experience over the last year and a half. And it wasn't until I went on this solo meditation retreat and learned a lot, again, go listen to the last episode, that I realized that the only reason that I couldn't fathom this experience is because all the things that were being said to me there were true. And I'm scared to lose everything. I don't... Of course I'm scared to lose my wife and my home and my kids, my friends, the nice things that I have. It's like, life's not easy. It's not supposed to be. But then I realized that really the reason that I was scared is because I was scared to face the fact that this stuff could be true. 
I think that ultimately that's kind of the key takeaway from this experience for me. And that's the reason why I feel comfortable enough in, in sharing this experience with everyone that decides to listen to this episode. Because even though I said last episode, like, you know, this is all illusion, it's all fake, it's all, none of this is real, none of it exists, I don't exist, you don't exist, all, all this is true. In this physical manifestation, those things are true. So just like in this trip, I had this hallucination, and I'm, I'm doing quotes as I say this, because I, I don't know, I mean, it, it's real to me. Maybe we're all having this hallucination together. And maybe I'm not necessarily God, and you're not necessarily God. We're just all aspects of this giant consciousness. And so that that makes sense to me. And the thing is, it's not like I'm the only person having these experiences. So what is there to be afraid of? What should be, af be afraid of talking about this experience when the experience happens all the time? And one thing that I realized a couple of weeks ago is that I, I sometimes hold back some of the things that I want to say because they seem so outrageous and preposterous. But really, they're only outrageous and preposterous because I feel like if I say them, I'm going to end up in a loony bin somewhere. Right? Or people think that I'm, I'm crazy or making this stuff up. And how many people feel that way? How many people feel like they've gone crazy when they've had these experiences? Again, it could be a psychedelic trip like this experience was. It could be you know, a solo meditation retreat in the woods. Or it could be any kind of mystical experience. You see the Virgin Mary show up on, on, on your back seat as you're driving to work. Whatever. Right? Any of these things. But if everyone's afraid to share these experiences, that tells me a couple things. Number one, if, if so many people have these experiences, there must be something to the experience. Whatever that something is, there has to be some reality to the experience if it's so common but also if you don't share it how do you know how common it is right if i shared this story a thousand years ago let's say in the middle ages that'd be a good good one middle ages i get burned at the stake as a witch right i got possessed by a demon if 200 years ago i said slavery was wrong i'd go to jail that's it was fine to be a slave owner and now it's not but if you don't share these ideas these thoughts how can you explore it? You know, the, the really interesting thing is, and I, I've talked to Mike from uh, Mind Escape Podcast about this before, is that there has to be a way to quantify the reality of these experiences. There has to be a way to quantify the stuff. And, and I know that there's, there's scientists and researchers and, and folks that write books that study this stuff that experiment on themselves to try to find some some objective reality to these experiences but what i'm talking about is like something that you can physically grasp some some kind of final result that you can gather from doing this experimentation that is true across the board because really i mean what's reality if not a, a, a mass shared hallucination that we all agree on if we all agree that slavery is wrong then slavery is wrong if we all agree that slavery is good then slavery is good there's no right and wrong on any of this stuff. It's just kind of what the majority thinks is reality, is what becomes reality. And so if we do these kind of experimentations on, on a large basis with lots of people, 
and and sure there's there's plenty of people that do psychedelics right i mean you can go to like our psychonaut on on reddit i love that place it's fantastic and you get all kinds of experiences right people share or uh you know like the room 351 podcast where he shares dmt experiences or you know the works of guys like dick Kahn that experiment on themselves to try to analyze a dmt experience or going to Arrowhead. Arrowhead's fantastic because you get all kinds of information. Right? You get health warnings, you get trip reports, you get ways to synthesize stuff. But it's not a mass thing. And I don't know if it will ever be a mass thing. I mean, I, I've tried to get my wife to, to do some work with psychedelics to work with her anxiety. Because I do feel like if she did psychedelic work and meditation work, she could actually get through that anxiety. But she chooses not to, right? She chooses to remain on prescription medications. And that's that's fine. That's her reality. And I, I'm not gonna impose my own on her. But what if what if there were, you know, twenty studies that said it was good, or a hundred, or a thousand, or a million studies? What if it was an accepted practice in a in a hospital or a clinic or a psychologist's office where instead of being prescribed Lexapro, you get prescribed five grams of mushrooms, right? Then maybe her reality would change because to her it would be okay to do this kind of stuff. And so for the last 18 months, I mean, I've gone deep. I've gone deep. This experience was one of the major inspirations for me wanting to do this podcast because I wanted to find answers. I wanted to find answers. And I felt like if I placed myself in a situation where I had to put out, you know, whatever, an episode a week or every two weeks, uh, obviously the podcast is much more uh, prolific than that. I'm doing two episodes a week, sometimes three. But if I put myself in this place, then I would force myself to do more and more research and more self-experimentation to see what works for me and what doesn't. And, you know, I don't care if anyone listens to the podcast. I'm sure this is going to be a popular episode. People have been wanting to know about the psychedelic experience for a while. But I don't care if one or a hundred or a thousand or a million people listen. You know, I do this podcast to kind of get my thoughts out on some of these things. Because some, you know, I, I mean, I was an English major, and so I, I wrote <laughs> in, in my college career thousands of pages of paperwork analyzing literature. But it's... There's something about just simply talking and getting these things out in some kind of historical archive like an audio file, where if, if one person listens and gets something out of it or sees it in a different way that they can share with me and I can find that new perspective and find a way to integrate it into my experience, then to me that's a success. But I've gone, I've gone really deep into this stuff. You know, as a result of, of this experience, I, I got into sacred geometry, among other things. And, uh, and I want to talk about that just really quickly because you know, when I get down to some of the, the principles of, of this trip, it's so crazy just how, to me at least, similar it is to... You know, like Egyptian mythology, for example. So um, you know, I hate math. I, I was an English major, so I hate math. But I want to talk for a couple of minutes about that because it's it's very interesting. You know, one of the 
one of the most important symbols in sacred geometry and in a lot of mythology is the vesica pisces right the the symbol that basically looks like uh, i mean it's it's two circles joined at the middle right where the center of one circle let me get this definition correct the center of one circle is intersected by the outer edge of the next circle right and so these two circles are intertwined you can look up vesica pisces online and see a picture if you don't know what i'm talking about but it's these two circles combined into one and of course if you do some work on sacred geometry if you do some work on math maybe you remember pythagorean theorem for example from whenever you learned that middle school i guess elementary school i don't know uh it's all related because the, the pythagoreans were really interesting right they obviously created all this math quote unquote created because that's kind of you can argue against that right there's there's some schools that believe that pythagoras and, and his students and, and that school created a lot of geometry and there's another school which i tend to agree with that they didn't create anything they were simply using some of these more ancient concepts and and telling them in a new way and and what i always found fascinating is you know there's i remember in math class i'm talking about pythagoras and you know how how much of a logical guy the scientist guy but the pythagoreans weren't necessarily scientists at all right i mean that's like calling an alchemist a scientist right and so you get chemistry out of alchemy uh, except you know chemistry is basically alchemy without a soul right and it's the same thing with the pythagoreans right people think of them as mathematicians but i mean they were they were mystics they were mystics they were just simply using the language of math to illustrate some of these mystical concepts and why am i talking about that well it's very simple these numbers that the pythagoreans basically worshipped which they got from the egyptians which they got from who knows who some more ancient culture i would assume these numbers all all show up in this trip that i had it, it's so crazy because out of this Visica Pisces shape, which somehow became distorted by you know the Christians and becomes like the fish, for example, the fish symbol, out of this these two conjoined circles, you get all the math that you need to create every shape and ratio that exists in the universe. Well, let me rephrase: almost every, almost every. Because if you start drawing lines within these two circles, out of these circles you get the three basic shapes. The triangle, the square, and the pentagon. So out of one you get three and four and five. And of course to me that became interesting because out of the father mentioned in, in this trip, the one, you get the, the two opposite sides, the light and the dark, myself and my brother in the trip. So that's the three and then of course if the father's gone and all that's left is my brother and i and our wives the three we get the four and out of the four we get the five because one little bit that i forgot to mention during this trip was that it turns out the the owl man is my son and he's the fifth and the reason i said mostly is because once you get into higher dimensions you you also need seven 
And of course, that's interesting because, you know, it would be my brother and I and our wives, my son, the Owlman, and I would assume my brother's son and the father. So that's the seven. And this gets you into total mystical realms. Right? You can start talking about the Tree of Life and Kabbalah. You can talk about the Ankh and all kinds of things. But if we stick strictly to Pythagoras and the Pythagoreans and, and Egyptian numerology, you know, when you think of Egypt, the first thing you think about is always the pyramid. And the pyramid itself encompasses these things. Because right? the pyramid is one structure with three faces. And the, fa the, the base of the pyramid has the four sides. And out of these sides, including you know, the, the apex at the top of, of the triangles, you get five angles. So again, the one, three, four, five dichotomy. And I mean, I went into a lot of rabbit holes, as you can tell from this, and I, I don't want to talk about math too much. But, you know, Egyptian numerology is really interesting. Uh, and, and this dives directly into alchemy because the triangle was very important. And, and the triangles represented by, by the Holy Trinity, basically. The upright side of the triangle is Osiris, the father, the origin point. The base of the triangle is the mother, the recipient, which is Isis. And then the hypotenuse, the side that conjoins the two between mother and, and father, is the sun, the, the result, which is Horus. And all these principles, when you get them together, you end up coming back to this number five. And, you know, five is kind of an important prime number in, in alchemy and, and Pythagorean theory because five is a perfect square. Five times five is 25, right? All the other numbers, you, you don't get this kind of thing. But that's kind of where the, the Pythagorean theorem stems out of. And if you're into language, you might know that the, the term, I mean, for a lot of words now, it's become shortened. We just use pan. But, you know, in the original Greek, it would be panta, which is the same root word as penta, which is five. And panta means all. So five is the all. And that's fascinating to me because that's what existed, right? The father, the two sons, and their spouses. The five is all. That's all that existed. Everything else stemmed out of those five things. You can go really deep into this Egyptian numerology and Pythagoras and, and sacred geometry, and I highly recommend you do, because uh, you can really get into some of these alchemical principles when you dive into the, the math of the triangle. Right? I didn't go over the, the vital principles and the elements and the five stages of development, but that's all related to the triangle. Because in, in Egyptian alchemy, of course... Alchemy is an Egyptian term, alchemet, right? Basically means science from Egypt. The upright side, Osiris, represents the three basic principles, salt, sulfur, and mercury. That's the core of alchemy. And the, the Isis side, the mother side, is the four elements, fire, water, air, and earth. And then the sun, which is what what you get out of when you combine these two masculine and feminine elements, the result is the five stages of development, physical reality. Minerals, plants, animals, humans, and enlightened beings. Now, I knew some of these concepts, right? Like, I think everyone that is into this alternate stuff might be familiar with, like, the Vesica Pisces and some basic sacred geometry, maybe. Obviously, a lot of folks are into Egyptology, so you might be familiar with the uh, Isis Osiris story. 
I will get into that because there's some similarities between that and, and the story that I experienced. But it was interesting how I ended up finding all these connections that tied directly into this experience that I had. And again, it could all be self-confirmation bias. But to me, this was reality. This was a true experience. You know, maybe if you're a, a purely physical materialist, you might... Uh, you might say that I found some archetypes in my in my brain, right? And this sacred geometry stems out of just basic core concepts of the universe that are kind of instilled into your brain as certain neurological patterns. And of course, if you have a trip, you get in touch with these things. They're still not real. They're just purely imagination. And I would say that they're not. I would say that what this experience told me is basically exactly what I learned from a solo meditation retreat, except I've been too stupid to see any of it for 18 months. And had I been able to internalize this experience 18 months ago, I might be in a completely different place mentally and, and spiritually right now. Because the place that I'm at now is the place that I could have gotten to 18 months ago. I think I'm going to wrap up the episode right here. Maybe I'll do a follow-up at some point. I hope you uh, enjoy that story. I, I'm glad that I told the story after, uh, after all this time. I'm glad that I was able to, to get over some of my fear. And, you know, if there's one takeaway that I can ask you to get from, from me telling the story is don't be afraid to tell your story. Because maybe if more of us shared these very personal experiences without fear of persecution or being made fun of or whatever then we would really find what reality is. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at MindAlchemical, on Instagram, TheAlchemicalMind.com, and you can email me, martin at TheAlchemicalMind.com. That's going to wrap up for this episode. Next week will be a couple of lighter episodes. I'm going to keep with the Egyptian theme, and uh, I'll be doing a couple episodes on the Hermetica, uh, a book that I've read dozens of times over the past uh, 18 months <laughs> to try to get some uh, some answers for this experience. So I hope you'll enjoy that as well. And then uh, the week after that, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get a little serious again, and uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about fear, and uh, that should be interesting. So I hope you enjoyed it. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you thought, and uh, that's gonna be it. As always, remember that you are it. Mm-hmm.